You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated three meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am very excited for this episode. As you know, Joe Hernandez has been on the show a few times, I think maybe three or four times at this point. He's one of our great friends of our show. I get to go to his USAR training that he does with Disaster Medical Solutions. It's phenomenal. I've talked about it on the show. I've had other people on the show. I've had, I've had his friends on the show. And now I have a huge honor to have his son on our show, Matt Hernandez, because just like Joe, he's following in his father's footsteps by doing amazing things. And I'm really excited to talk to him. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here with you and, uh, and your audience. Yeah. So uh, thanks. The um, I want to talk about Unite Us here in a little bit. This uh, this project you're working on, or this at uh, this coming that you are uh, you're doing with uh, social services, it's really cool. But because it's uh, the the Christmas episode, because we're talking about this stuff, and uh, our focus is really to to, to help other people, um, I really want us to focus on that aspect today, making sure that all of our listeners, whether they're military, first responders, emergency managers, or humanitarians, that they they know some people out there get it. Uh, but before even that, so now we got a third piece. I'm looking at this picture behind you. And so for those who are listening to the episode, this is a from, I, I believe what Matt told me is a 2010 Army-Navy game. Um, and uh, Matt has a kind of a cool experience uh, working on that side because you actually worked as a, an assistant coach for army. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I, um, so I was a 2008 West point grad. Um, I played football there the four years, uh, when I was at West point. And then, uh, after I graduated, they, they have this, uh, program where they keep some folks back like an athletic intern or grad assistant. And so I got to coach, um, uh, an additional year after I was there. So it was a pretty neat experience to, uh, to see things from the other side of the table. Mm. Um, put together game plans and, and mentor uh, some of the guys I used to play with really neat experience. Okay. So first of all, I didn't know you played too. What, what position did you play? I used to play defensive end. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, that's about, 40, awesome. about 45 pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you look like you thinned out a little bit. The, um, 
You know, last week we had uh, Dan Scott on here with EM Student, and he talked about emergency management as being the coach of a disaster. And uh, he went into kind of his ideas uh, about that. And I, I explained what I thought of emergency management to be as the analyst up there watching the game from below and trying to figure out, you know, how to get the ball down the field as a guy with an actual coaching experience with actual logistical experience of helping literally the ball move down the field, whether it's getting the team there or whatever, can you provide at least some of your experiences as a way for our listeners to start spinning the wheels of, you know, how emergency services, how they can apply the game of football to possibly emergency services or even, you know, social work, that kind of, that kind of idea. Sure. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it boils down to preparation, right? So, I mean, people see the product on a Saturday or Sunday, if somebody's playing a football game, obviously if an emergency is taking place and you're, you're physically trying to, to help and assist, you're seeing the, the product as it is, but the preparation it takes and the repetition and the understanding of um, you have to be an expert at your craft in order to be an expert in those dire situations, right? When the pressure's on, um, when your blood pressure's up, when people are relying on you to, to do your job, um, if you don't take the proper steps to prepare and to walk through the motions and understand what your role is and what your team's role is, um, then you're not going to be successful. So I think people, you know, they, they see, you know, uh, that, that game time scenario. And I'd apply the same thing to the military. If you're not training the way you're, you're going to fight or, or practicing the way you're going to play or um, preparing the way you're going to end up saving, uh, then you're, then you're going to be missing. You're not going to be performing the way that you should be uh, when, when the time is right. Yeah, I think, um, this uh, this applies also to that that uh, I like how you said training because you know there I've been a part of so many exercises as as part of getting ready for a big disaster whether it's a hurricane wildfire or literally preparing for a nuke um, where every single exercise from like from that same training group always was like a lightning bolt exercise which basically means like there was no preparation whatsoever like. Oh, all of a sudden we're in a category five hurricane. Like nobody saw this coming for the last five days. And, um, what, what I've been finding is that going to the, your, you know, your dad's USAR training is their model is phenomenal. And it's a lot closer to, you know, I played sports as well of, you know, you're, you're not always in the game, right? Like there's skills that get, get taught in a slower environment. And then once you're able to apply the skill, then you get put in the scenario, right? Absolutely. Um, in terms of game time versus preparation time, what do you think the ratio of that is? I, mean, I think it's, you know, the, I work with a, a lady and her dad's actually a coach in the NFL. And she says, you know, you practice for six days and you play the game on, you know, on a Sunday, right? Is the NFL right. mind. So you're practicing six times more than you're playing. Um, and I think it's, I think that's at a minimum. Um, it's an iterative process. Like you said, like you got to build up on, on the little things. You got to do little things right in order to, to put everything together. Um, and everything's about preparation. I think it's also just having a plan too, right? So having, having a strategy about how you want to, how you want to act in a certain scenario, right? Or how you want things to unfold. There's, there's always variables you can't control, but if you plan for certain scenarios, then you're going to set yourself up for success. One of the things that we, um, we did in the military and actually applied this for some emergency management prep when I used to work in the hospital environment was you prepare for the worst thing that can happen and you prepare for the most likely thing to happen. Mm. And if you can figure out those two scenarios, you can pretty much figure out the re- anything in between. I like uh, that. And so we, yeah. we use that, we use that application. I, I, um, we used to prepare for, you know, emergencies when I worked down in Miami in, in the hospital environment. And, uh, that's what we would do. Like, I was like, if we just took that concept 
what's the worst thing that happens and make sure we have a plan for that. And then what's the most common and we'll be good um, and figure everything out on the fly. If, as long as we prepare and have the right plan. There's a, there's a book, I forget the name of the book, but um, this actually might be the name of the book it's crisis mode versus routine mode. Hmm. And it's the last chapter in that book. And it talks about um, those who, you know, basically the way that we would always look at on the national team was, um, everything, any situation we went into was crisis mode because the people that uh, were there, their, uh, the resources were overwhelmed, the game plan wasn't working. And so we were specifically called in to fix. Hmm. And so we had to take crisis mode to routine mode. And the problem with that though, is like sometimes people get like the, the adrenaline rush in the crisis mode. So they think they should stay in crisis mode. And my big pitch is that again, with, with a lot more training, you should be able to get to routine mode as fast as possible. Now, the flip side is to, to be in, this is, okay, this is not the year for football for either of us yeah. um, because I'm an Ohio State fan. And yeah. that, that was painful. <laughs> Michigan game was rough. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I have a theory on that. It's, it's, a, it's a conspiracy theory, but I have a theory. Anyways, the, um, like, the, the problem is when people are in routine mode, but they're actually should be in crisis mode. And if you're, if you're, uh, preparing for the worst case scenario and also the most likely scenario, then again, you can be able, you'll, you're going to be able to, to be able to tell the difference between routine and crisis. Mm -hmm. So great, great thoughts there. Um, so what was the, what was the final score of, uh, <laughs> I don't want to bring this up Navy versus army this year. You got, you, it was a, it was a tough year, right? Yeah. I, um, I try to forget already. I think it was 17, 14. So we, it's oh, funny. Okay. So we, we, um, we, we were underdogs against Air Force. We beat Air Force. Um, then we were favored to play when we played Navy and we lost to Navy. I mean, those games are just always so, um, so competitive, right? You have uh, yeah. that long standing rivalry, which you understand now. I mean, Ohio State's owned Michigan for a long time. And now, you know, Michigan got the last laugh. So, uh, uh, whoa, don't say last laugh. Don't say last laugh. Okay. First <laughs> this of all, year. this year, <laughs> here, here's the conspiracy theory Jim Harbaugh, the guy's a moron. The guy's like, Terrible. Look at his record at Michigan. He's done yeah. so bad against Ohio State, obviously, uh, and against everybody else. But the problem is, if they fire Jim Harbaugh or mm -hmm. Jimmy, whatever frig his name is, and they replace him maybe with somebody actually better, then it it would be harder for us. So I Fair think enough. Ohio State was looking at the cards and saying, "Okay, are we going to win a championship this year? Probably not. So <laughs> if we lose to Jimmy." And they extend his contract, which Michigan basically just did. Right. And we're going to beat them for the next five years and everybody wins. So we, they got one of six with Jimmy. We beat them 17 to three, 17 years. We've beaten them. So yeah, I don't know. Don't say last lap yet. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. That is the most, that's a, that's talking about. So when I said routine mode versus crisis mode, mm -hmm. I was watching that game. This is, I don't know. There's like the football episode, but. I was watching that game and I was like, why aren't they changing the game plan? Like they were acting like as if they were going to win. And I see this sometimes with teams and also in emergency services and emergency management. Um, I don't know if you've seen this in the military side where they maybe with the politicians, but they act as if they know they're going to win and they, they won't update their strategy. Is there advice you can give to people in the field where you're like, okay, how do you know when you're in routine versus crisis? And how do you create backup plans? Well, I mean, I think it, it almost tells line of cockiness over confidence. Like if you're overly 
if you're cocky, like that's where people get hurt, right? Or mistakes are made. Yeah. And so, you know, a football game, you may lose a game or you may make a, make a mistake. Like if you're talking about emergency management or military um, and you make mistakes, like people can die, right. Or people can get significantly hurt. So I think there's a fine line between being confident and understanding, like we put the preparation in, we've done the right things. We know our job. We're, we're in the right mindset versus like, Hey, this is easy. We got this. Like we've done it a hundred times that we don't need to focus on what we're doing. And you, and you lose that attention and detail or that focus, that's when you can make mistakes and people can get hurt. So yeah. um, I, th- I think you just, you need that constant reminder. I mean, we could go back to the football thing, like Bill Belichick's right. He always expects you to do your very best. Um, and the second that you make any kind of small error, they're going to critique that and they're going to find a way to make it better um, because they don't want people to lose that edge. Right. So you lose that edge. You're not prepared. That's when mistakes can happen. So I think having leadership, understand that and know that and instilling that every single time that they need to is important. How do you, so I, I find that um, different people have different personality traits, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about critiquing people, how would you go about critiquing somebody in emergency management? Dude, I, I can't even get a, you're a football player. There's a lot of cocky football players out there. Sure. How do you critique somebody who has a lot of experience, who thinks they know what they're doing, who, you know, is kind of bullheaded? At the same time, you know, because your goal obviously is to help them and help the mission, right? Right. How do you find those those lines for yourself? I think, um, like you said, I think personalities are different. And so you have to know the folks that are on your team. Um, you know, one of the things I had, so when I was a, a second lieutenant, um, lieutenants get thrown into a platoon. Um, I had a 36-year-old platoon sergeant who had been, he'd been a Marine recon before. So he's been special ops on the Marine side. And he had uh, multiple deployments with the Army before. This guy was way more seasoned than I was. I, I was book smart, but I had no field experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think walking in with some humility and understanding that you know what you know, you also know what you don't know, um, and validating their experience and their understanding is important to level set that 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 mutual respect. But I also think you can do a couple of ways. One is that if you just, if there's a standard and you need to follow the standard, then you can, you can, you know, talk about what that is. I think another way you can apply it too is you can always ask them, put the, put the onus on them. Like, what would you have done differently in this scenario? Did it go the way that we thought it was going to go? And if we did not, what would you have done differently? Mm-hmm. You know, with the experience that you have and sometimes asking them what their opinion is, not to say you'll always do what they recommended moving forward, but validating who they are and understanding their experience and giving them a chance to speak about what they could do differently or what we could have done differently. Um, sometimes gives them skin in the game and gives them a, a reason to want to help the team better, right? Or uh, just a different approach. Sometimes you can take with those more seasoned folks that have, you know, lots more experience. Yeah, that's a that's like a mic drop moment. I mean, that's that's exactly what I would think is uh, the right call. The man, I have so many thoughts on this, and I keep wanting to go back to football. And we are actually going to go back to football because this is this is actually pretty fun. The um, what I find is that, like, even with myself, I've had to catch myself doing this. And like, you get the people with no experience who are just super passionate, really excited, just like want to jump in, and they're like, you know, bushy tailed, right? Like this Christmas morning. Ah, there you go. Then we have a Christmas reference. Right. It's like Christmas morning, right? You're like, oh, this is this is what I've been wanting to do. Then they get in there and they get a little bit of experience and the the cockiness just shoots way up. What I find with like true subject matter experts um, is that they have all that confidence that they just gained and they have all that experience and they have all that excitement, but they're able to turn it on and I really hate to give this reference. And I, I apologize in advance for like all the people who hate this guy. But 
Tom Brady. Oh, I can't even believe I'm saying this. Uh, Tom Brady is a, a true subject matter expert in his craft. And I would say maybe 10 years ago, I would I, like, I hated the guy. Like these just seem cocky, whatever, but he's so far into it now that mm -hmm. it's like, he does, he lets the game speak for itself and he has all that passion still. And he's all that, that drive. That's a good football pun. But uh, you know, like there's, uh, that's the example of like get getting to in terms of how you should act once you're actually there. But the problem is there's a there's a huge gulf actually between, you know, I got a little bit of experience and a true subject matter expert, and I think it's trying to learn how to manage people in that space, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he. Um, I don't know if you've seen his new series, Man in the Arena, but it's really awesome about it's like the journey right from when he was the six round draft pick out of Michigan, um, and then all the preparation he put in until he got his moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I also um, agree with you. I wasn't a fan of his, I, you know, I'm a South Florida guy, so I'm a Dolphin fan, wasn't a fan of the Patriots, but, you know, I admire excellence and he's a person that has, you know, he's the best that, that there is because of his preparation and his attention to detail. And like you said, he's an SME. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, you got to admire excellence. There's, there's a lot of people like that. Your dad's like that for me on in the USAR perspective, for sure. Um, okay, we're going to do one more football analogy because I really like this. Okay. So I gave a presentation to NATO. Um, I was there on their keynote or whatever back in September for urban warfare planning. Really fun experience talking to military leaders without emergency services experience and or understanding of how emergency management or crisis management in Europe, what it can do for them. And it was a fun conversation. So the way I broke it out was describing a disaster like chess pieces. Mm -hmm. And I would say, this is my side. This is the other side of the disaster. And I kind of walk through that as a guy who played football, do you ever go through and you're like, okay, that, that position, that would be this. And this position would be that. Do you ever do that? Um, I, I wouldn't say I use that exact reference. Um, I, I actually did a training one time when I was a, a captain in the army and we had to do professional development. It was all, and what I used was attention to detail. Um, the scenario I did was like, I broke down a couple different plays that looked the same, same formation, um, similar down in distance. Uh, it was, um, and, and a couple of them were run plays, a couple of them were play action. It was off the same movement, right? And, and the, what I was showing was like, hey, there's a difference in where this guy's aligned, both in the backfield and on the line of scrimmage. And the initial action, like in the first, like two seconds of the play, what's happening, like one second in, two seconds in. So you can see what's happening. Um, and it just showed the attention to detail, like understanding what your opponent is going to do. In this case, we're talking about like enemy, like your opponent's going to do reading your keys, understanding what you should be doing and attention to detail, like matters in combat it matters in sports and it matters in emergency management too. Um, right. <laughs> but just understanding like the, getting down to that kind of level, like the, the expert level, that PhD level of understanding exactly what's happening and breaking them down and then having a, a plan and then practicing. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm only, I'm seeing it happen in front of me on, on a screen. And now I'm going to go out and, and, and emulate what I'm seeing on the field. So I know if this guy, you know, is aligned differently now I'm looking like, Hey, I, I, I'm, something is keying me to think that they may be doing what I think they're doing based on what I saw. So I, I see it, then I practice it, then I execute it. Um, and there's a sequence, right? It's iterative. Um, so I wouldn't say the exactly of like moving pieces and this player was this player. Um, but I have used analogies from football all the time, um, in, in my work. Do you, uh, do you know any pilots by any chance? Uh, yeah. Anytime I talk to a pilot, every analogy is about flying every single one. So I just, that's how I feel about football players too. Anytime I talk to a football player, it's like, Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool though, that you look at operations as plays 
And, uh, you know, f- instead of focusing so much on the, the players themselves or the positions as the plays of like, what is the objective you're trying to do in that specific play, try to get wins. Uh, I actually like that a lot. Um, it's a I good theory. The other thing I say too, is just like team sport wise, like, you know, there's other sports out there that people, and not to speak, like I played a lot of sports growing up. Football, I think is the one sport where you have to rely on every single other person on your team more than anyone else, right? Like you have a great basketball player. He can take over the game great pitcher he or she can take over the game um but in football yeah you can have an athlete but like the line's not blocking or they miss an assignment on the back end like you have to do your job and so it applies like you know in emergency management or it applies in the military like if you don't have somebody doing their role like then you have a potential catastrophe that can happen and so it's really important to be accountable to your your peers uh on doing your role and then also making sure that they're doing their role Unless you're Ezekiel Elliott in the Michigan game in 2018, when he basically put the game on his back. Um, (laughs) No, that's a good, it's a good point. So let's switch gears here for a little bit. I brought up Unite Us earlier. Um, It's a company you work for. um, And just to, you know, just for everybody's sake, you know, they didn't pay us for this, um, but you work there and I was looking it up and I think it's pretty cool. Um, especially because it's like hitting the innovative uh, side of emergency management and especially humanitarian aid. Can you walk through just very briefly about the mission of Unite Us and maybe like your, your own personal story of why you're focusing on emergency management and or helping people? Sure. So, I mean, our, our mission is pretty simple. It's to connect health and social care. Um, the understanding is like, you know, everyone understands clinical care is really important, right? So it's elevating social services and the basic needs, the basic social determinants of health are important in people's lives um, and how that impacts their overall health. Um, when I got out of the service, I wanted to kind of find something that had mission focus. And so when I got out of the army uh, in 2013, I started working in healthcare IT. So I got involved in the hospital system, worked in a couple of hospitals um, and, you know, liked doing that. I liked helping clinicians, you know, take care of patients. I spent another couple of years working on the provider side, doing the same thing right now. I'm directly helping clinicians, not for a hospital company, but for a, a provider focused company, but I always felt like something was missing. Um, they do great work, but I, I always thought we could be more proactive about helping people. Um, and Unite Us is all about driving, um, you know, health into the communities and really bringing health um, to the people and right, getting people connected to social services like housing and food and transportation, the basic things um, that keep people healthy, all of that impacts health. Um, you know, research says, 80% of your health happens outside of a clinical setting. And so that's what that company's really after. And when I realized what the mission they were doing, that I could be more proactive about helping folks that, um, you know, that I live next to and, and, and folks that I grew up with, then it kind of spoke to my heart and just wanted to, to jump on and, um, and be a part of that innovative concept. Cause it's, it's newer, it's a newer concept, right? It's not, it's not mainstream yet. And so uh, it's been fun. Yeah. The fact that you're tracking that, that progress or, or all those different activities is huge because um, like so much of people are like, you know, they, they have these touch points with individuals that come in who need um, services, but to be able to actually track that and track the history of that, especially when they don't have a lot to go, like there's not a lot to go on for data, especially when you meet them, they don't have that, that history readily available anyways. And so um, like the idea that's at least a, an organization like Unite Us and, and the fact that you're going out there and trying to help that that progress, I mean, because that's really what you we're talking about is progression um, for the most vulnerable. And uh, that's like, that's a mission that I can get behind. That's a mission I think is pretty cool. So, um, but let's back up for a second. Obviously, your dad's a pretty famous guy in the USAR world. 
um, with all of his experiences with, um, you know, urban search and rescue and 9-11 and everything else he's done, Haiti, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, all of that side. Um, is that why you got in? Um, what experiences impacted you? And essentially, why are you carrying the banner, carrying, carrying the, the torch there, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I was blessed to have, um, you know, a hero dad, right? So, I mean, you said it, he, he's done a lot of amazing things in his life. And, um, you know, I was, I always saw him um, helping other people, right? So it's hard for, for um, first responders, families, like Christmases, like sometimes you miss Christmases and birthdays and things like that, but he was, you know, he was helping other people. And so as a kid, it's hard to understand that. But as a grown up now, as a father myself, like I understand the sacrifices that, that some of those guys make. Um, you know, to help other people. There's a story like my daughter, for some reason, loves always hearing stories more so than, than books, um, where I remember being on a vacation, uh, coming home from vacation with my dad was driving, we were coming back, I think from Disney, or, or um, uh, Bush Gardens, and there was a, a bad accident on the highway. And so a, a van in front of us flips multiple times, goes off the highway, skids off into the grass, ends up upside down. And it's in like, um, almost I say like a swamp, right? So it's, it's, it ends up sinking like quite a bit into the ground. Um, and so my dad, you know, the, the guy that he is, right, goes into crisis mode for a minute um, and then relies on his training. But he was like, uh, I think I was about 13 at the time. He slams on, the, slams on the brakes, pulls the car over and says, Matt, let's go. And so I'm in the car with my with my mom, my brother and my sister. But I'm the, you know, the, the biggest one of the group. And I remember like I, he had just we had just spent time buying like new new clothes for school and I had new shoes on. And, you know, silly, young, immature me was like, what my, my shoes are going to get ruined. He's like, I'll buy you new ones. And so we run off into the, into the couple hundred yards into the embankment and this car's up, this van's upside down. And there's two older, uh, an older couple hanging, in, hanging from their seatbelts in there. And so he, you know, he walks me through and we get them down safely and, and then rescue comes and, um, you know, thank God those people were fine. They had cuts and bruises and were crying and were afraid, but you know, I saw him go into like mode like that. Mm. And, um, you know, I spent a couple of times riding with him and his, his crew, uh, as a young man. And then, you know, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. And so, um, I was in 10th grade. Um, and I, I just, you know, he always said like, just look at the people that are going to help. And that always resonated with me. And so I took a different route by going, you know, in the military, but service was always something that was something I saw growing up, um, something I respected and, and wanted to be a part of. And so, yeah, I mean, I think he absolutely is an inspiration for, for what I decided to do. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's pretty incredible for both him and you, and uh, I hope he did replace your shoes. Yeah, I, I think he did. But I, you know, and I, and I tell my daughter that story all the time. She's like, "Tell me the story about Papa and you, you know. helping people," because you know I think she's got that bug too, which I hope she does. That'd be cool if if she does. She's four and a half. Um, but he, you know, I just I, I always saw him helping, and um, and it resonated with me, and it's you know it's always stuck with me. It's uh, it's pretty incredible for you specifically to. I mean, you called it out, right? Um, with family members who are in emergency services and for those of us who have get deployed to disasters, right? And then like, you're just gone. Um, there were several years in, in my marriage that I would get a phone call and two hours later, I'd be gone. I wouldn't know I was coming home and I wouldn't come home for months. Yeah. So like you, you, there's a taxation that puts on your family uh, because of that. And so the fact that you um, you specifically were able to say, okay, like there's greater good out here, um, is a big deal. Um, especially because, you know, he had to been gone all the time between local and national stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, your military service, 9-11 obviously was uh, an indicator for military service, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was uh, a major drive for me as well. The um, um, Because of some health stuff, I can't serve in the military. So I was like, okay, like, what can I, what can I do? And I kind of found humanitarian aid slash emergency management and uh, talk about impacting an entire generation of, of a leaders essentially through a, a something that was so horrible and horrible at the moment and still horrible now. And right. you know, it's, it's dr- driven people like yourself to do good in the world. And now you're working on helping the most vulnerable populations. Um, and I think that's kind of a, I think that's kind of a Christmas message in itself of, you know, there's, there's hard days and there's hard moments, but um, good can come and could good will come. Right. I think that's, uh, that's kind of the message I actually, uh, I subscribe to, or I, I choose to believe in. Do you have a, a similar mantra for yourself or how do you, how do you look at it? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, um, I've always said it can always get worse. I mean, I don't know if that's the most positive thing in the world. Like, there's, there's, I think there's, there's a silver lining. You should be an emergency manager just for that one phrase. There, yeah. There's, I mean, there's, everyone goes through hard times. Like I don't think anyone, regardless of where you were born or, um, you know, what, what's in your bank account or what you do, everyone is going to experience hard times. And so, um, but I think there, like you said, there are silver linings in, in situations. Um, and I think, I think finding, finding your tribe, um, I think social isolation kills people, right? So social isolation is really bad. Finding your tribe that can help you process things is important, right? So if you're, and I think there's a good camaraderie around the first responders because they're always together, right? They work together. Sometimes, you know, if you're on the fire or EMS side, you're together for a long time. Um, sometimes it's also getting those families to, to um, interact with each other so they can understand what that shared burden looks like. Because, um, you know, if, you, if you're not married to a first responder or, or you're not a child of a first responder, you don't really know what that feels like. Why is my dad not there? Why is my mom not there? Why is my spouse not there? And so I think giving people... Um, a chance to fellowship with each other and have that shared, you know, struggle uh, is important because then they can relate to what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think you said there's, there's still a lot silver lining and in, in, you can find one in every situation. If you look the right place. Um, I think there's something to be said about gratitude and understanding, like, I'm glad my dad is one of those people that wanted to go help people and, and be out there when other people didn't. Um, and, uh, and then I think having like a, a tribe around you is important to, you know, help you get through those times when, when you do have the downs and there's, there's the ups and the downs that comes with it. But, um, you know, I think having folks around you is important. Yeah. And you bring up uh, social isolation, how like dangerous that is. Yeah. Um, one, one problem when, when people are in, in either a personal crisis or a catastrophic disaster is it's hard for them to see beyond the fence. Um, I've shared a story about a hurricane before, so I won't share that one because I've been called out for sharing the same stories. I'm, I'm a dad, so that's the problem. But, <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, what was it, a year ago, we had uh, a major wind event when I lived in California, and it took out the power out of our neighborhood for five days, except for 10% of the neighborhood. And I was a guy who likes G- analytics and GIS. We lived mm-hmm. in that 10% of the neighborhood. Um, that was fine. Um, but we'd go visit some friends and you would think that they were in a war zone. I yeah. mean, and, and I, I say that respectively of the guy who's actually probably been to a war zone, but like, you know, like they think it's so hard, like literally they could walk three blocks over and just come into our house and be fine. And, um, I, I think the the message with social isolation is, um, distance is real. Sure. And if you go far enough, 
you will get out of the storm. Um, and that might take professional help. If you're in a personal thing that might take finding a group that might take checking out a, a vacation spot that might take moving, literally moving. Um, but you can get out of a storm. It is possible. Right. I think that's, uh, that's the message that we we're, we're both sharing today. Um, what would be your final thoughts to either a family member or, or a responder um, who is kind of feeling like they're, they're in that isolation mode themselves or that, that crisis mode themselves? I, I think um, I used to tell folks, I still say this to this day because I still have, I still communicate a lot with the guys I served with. Um, I feel like people that are those helpers, which we're talking about, they, they have a sense of purpose with what, what, what they're doing on their day job. Um, when they're not actively doing that sometimes, and if you are alone, those two things, when you're not feeling that purpose and you're kind of on your own is when you can get in trouble. Right. I think, um, there's a couple of ways that you can help kind of bridge that gap. Like you can volunteer, um, you know, go to church. You can help in a toy drive. You can help at a food bank. There's a lot of opportunities to get out and, and give back. Um, you could do something nice for your neighbor, like something that you can, you can do to, uh, to spark that feeling of gratification and purpose, I think it helped get you out of that dark spot. Cause I mean, being alone in your home by yourself is, is, is not a, a safe place to be if, if you're in that scenario. And then I think too, is like, if, you know, if you're, um, if you know folks that are, that are alone or that may be alone this holiday season, reach out, you know, offer them to come over for lunch or for dinner or, or, um, you know, to, to partake in whatever your family's doing. And so extend that hand out there. Don't take no for an answer. If you think there's an opportunity there to help somebody, um, cause holidays are tough, right? I mean, COVID might be back again. Right. And so everyone's got this, this hysteria going on and it's been a rough couple of two years. And so, um, I think just, you know, extending that, that reach to help other people is important. And, um, and also trying to find that purpose uh, of helping others, I think also, you know, allows you to feel, um, important, right. And get that, that, sas that satisfying, um, gratification by helping other people. I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, the message that, I think we can all get behind. Um, um, one last Christmas reference for you, uh, you know, Christmas cookies and Santa. Yeah. Um, being a football guy, do you know how to make uh, Michigan cookies by any chance, Matt? I don't even know what those are. Oh yeah. Well, I don't, the outcome is, uh, they're pretty gross, but you just put them in a bowl and beat them for three hours, <laughs> which I'm very excited about, but, uh, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, also, if a Michigan fan knocks on your door, you should pay him for the pizza and uh, see him on his way. But, um, man, I got lots of this. Okay, so seriously, though, uh, no, obviously, I do with motion really well. Um, you know, great message, great call out. It is the, the, the Christmas message or the holiday message to, to, if you're doing fine, to help out somebody else. If you're yeah. not doing fine, go find that help. There is help out there. It's real. Um, hopefully, uh, people got, um, a, a little bit of an uplifting message they should have from this episode alone. So, uh, Matt, thanks so much for coming on and, and talking to me today and talking about football. That's awesome. Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure to be on. All right, everybody. If you like this episode, which you should have, here's the shameless plug that we do every time you got to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. If you are trying to find ways to either give back. We have relationships with lots of different companies and organizations, uh, nonprofits like the Salvation Army. Patrick McGinn's been on, that sh been on our show a few times. Uh, we can help you out, uh, point you in directions if you have questions. If you are feeling alone, please reach out. Tell us on social media. We can try to point you to a group. 
Or uh, if you don't want to tell us on social media, you can send us an, e an email at info at DobermanEMG.com and we will connect you with somebody. Uh, we don't want anybody to feel alone right now, especially during the time of giving and giving back as Matt has been calling out. So make sure you do that with us and we'll see you next week.